All right, well, today instead of uh, Revelation 3, if you have a Bible, you can open to Philippians chapter 1, changing the sermon passage and sermon this week. Um, Philippians, uh, sorry, actually Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11 is what we'll look at. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Uh, I can't remember the last time that I changed my sermon at the last minute. Really, I spent just yesterday uh, rewriting it. Um, because of something that was happening in the world, like current events stuff. Uh, but it seems like there's an opportunity here that we probably shouldn't pass up. We should talk about this stuff. There, there's a lot of things that could be said about the Christian's response or the church's response to a virus outbreak, like what we're seeing uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, the main thing I want to talk about, there's a lot of things we could say. Uh, we could do a whole sermon series on <laughs> what to do during a time like this. <clears throat> but uh, the main thing I want to talk about this morning is uh, it's the kind of selfless love, which is explicitly Christian love, that puts the interests of others above our own in the name of Jesus and in an imitation of the Lord himself. That's what we're going to talk about from Philippians 2. Uh, let me pray, uh, then I'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we pray that as we consider your word you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. This is a great passage of Scripture for us to consider. We frequently recite it during the creed. We pray that you would impress these amazing truths deep into our hearts and into our minds by the work of your Spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just now realizing I don't have a copy of the Scripture with me, so... Give me a second, I'll look it up on my phone. <laughs> um, all right, Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, it's been a while since I preached on it, but it, it says so much about what kind of God we have uh, and about what it can look like for us to participate in this God's life, to participate in the divine life, which is what we're invited to do as Christians. In its original historical context, this passage addresses a church where there's, it seems like there's a few people who are probably in some sort of conflict with each other. So in that case, 
when it says in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, it's meant to say something like, be willing to give up your preferences. Be willing to give up, uh, you know, stop demanding your own rights over and against each other. Look for ways to accommodate and serve each other, to love one another. But I think it's also quite appropriate for us at a time like this, because Paul really is talking about Christian love, which always applies. Christian love always applies. True, humble, self-sacrificial, other-centered, Christ-like love. In another place, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, let all that you do be done in love, with this kind of love. So we know very well um, from experience, from the history books, what it looks like for the church to live this way in times like this. To live with real Christian love in times where disease is, is rampaging in our society. We know what it looks like for the church to do that. Plagues are, sadly, a common occurrence in the history of the world. These things are normal in a world that is broken because of the fall, because of sin, because of the fact that humans have rebelled against God. These things are normal. They might seem like an interruption to normal life, but in fact, it's, it's, it's normal life that's breaking in at times like this through the illusions of control and comfort that we've constructed for ourselves. Now, <clears throat> we've gotten better at managing diseases with modern medicine, modern hygiene practices, so that this, this coronavirus probably won't be even as bad as something that happened just 100 years ago, the Spanish flu, right, in terms of casualties. And it certainly won't be as deadly as the plagues in ancient Rome, but like those plagues, and like plagues that the, the church has endured throughout the centuries, it's an opportunity for the church to demonstrate Christ's love to one another and to the world. So there's a sociologist, Rodney Stark, and probably uh, a lot of you have heard of this book or maybe even read it. Uh, he's written a great book called The Rise of Christianity. It's a short little book. It's great, uh, worth reading. And he explores some of the major contributing factors, like what was going on in Rome at the time that the church went from this really nothing little group, obscure group, to uh, something that's influencing the entire Roman Empire he explores that, and he, he talks about the explosive growth of the church in the first few centuries uh, of the church's life. So he devotes a chapter there in his book to the role of the two great plagues that happened in Rome in the first couple centuries there. Uh, the first was in 165, and people uh, think that maybe it was the first outbreak of smallpox in the West in 165, and that plague lasted for 15 years. We're thinking maybe a couple months here with the coronavirus. Uh, that plague lasted for 15 years. The second was almost 100 years later. It was in 251, and people think that maybe that was the first outbreak of measles. So smallpox and measles in these two great plagues. And it was because of a lack of previous exposure. Nobody had had immunity to it. That's something that's uh, happening now. Nobody has immunity to the coronavirus, but it's because of a lack of a previous exposure and also a lack of understanding of pathogens and how things are contagious and how you can catch a disease, not even know that you're a carrier of it, be sick and not know it and uh, give it to others. Uh, they, they didn't have an understanding of any of those things. And because of that, it's estimated that up to a third of the population of the Roman Empire died in each of these two plagues. That's a lot of people. That's a high death rate. So uh, Hans Zisser is a historian. He says, 
Again and again, the forward march of Roman power and world organization was interrupted by the only force against which political genius and military valor were utterly helpless, epidemic disease. And when it came, as though carried by storm clouds, all other things gave way, and men crouched in terror, abandoning all their quarrels, undertakings, and ambitions until the tempest had blown over. So it's beyond the gigantic death toll. Those plagues had devastating effects on society in economic ways and infrastructure and psychological ways. But Christians, we have this in history books, Christians did not react with fear. They responded with love. They didn't react with fear. They responded with love. So William, William McNeil is another historian. He says, an advantage Christians enjoyed over pagans was that the teaching of their faith made life meaningful even amid sudden and surprising death. The world's collapsing. We still have an understanding of the world that this is, this is meaningful, this life. This is good, this life. McNeil continues, he says, Christianity was a system of thought and feeling thoroughly adapted to, to a time of troubles in which hardship, disease, and violent death commonly prevailed. We can stare these things in the face. And because of our faith, not only do we have some answers, but we have strength, we have confidence to live. Christians know that even when things are bleak, super bleak, God is sovereign. God is working out his good purposes in the world through everything that's happening. God is with us. He's not remote. He doesn't distance himself from us. He, he knows what suffering is like. He's done it more than we have. He's with us. The resurrection is true, and death is not to be feared. That's what Christians have. So while others in, this, uh, in these ancient Roman plagues, while others were running for the hills in terror, to self-isolate, even the greatest physicians, realizing they can't do anything, and they went to protect themselves away from where people were dying. Uh, those who trusted in Christ, who didn't fear death, they stayed to offer comfort and care and just merely human presence to those who were suffering. There's not a lot of, a lot of medical help that they could offer, but they stayed, even when it meant that they contracted the disease themselves and they died from it. So, uh, this is a great account um, that we find in the ancient uh, church historian Eusebius, <clears throat> and it's an account that he collected, I think, from Dionysius. I'm, I can't remember where Dionysius is from, uh, but this is about those two plagues in Rome, and so it's a bit of an extended account. Let me read it. The most of our brethren, our brothers and sisters, were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ. And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others and drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. And many who cared for the sick and gave strength to others died themselves, having transferred to themselves their death. Truly the best of our brethren departed from life in this manner, including some elders and deacons and those of the people who had the highest reputation. And they took the bodies of the saints in their open hands and in their bosoms and closed their eyes and their mouths. And they bore them away on their shoulders and laid them out. And they clung to them and embraced them 
and they prepared them suitably with washings and garments. And after a little, they received like treatment themselves, for the survivors were continually following those who had gone before them. But with the heathen, everything was quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. They shunned any participation or fellowship with death, which yet with all their precautions, it was not easy for them to escape. So they they shared the mindset of Christ. They didn't understand medical practices. We're not going to do everything the same way that they did. But they shared the mindset of Christ, and they looked not to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. And as they bore witness to the divine life, and to the love and to the resurrection of Jesus, many in the Roman Empire saw something wonderful, and before you know it, the Roman Empire was Christian. This love of Christ has changed the world to the point now where There are hospitals everywhere with doctors and nurses caring for the sick and for the dying as best as they can, even though they themselves will be exposed and become sick and continue to serve even though they're sick. Such a thing was entirely unknown to the world until the church followed the Lord's lead in selfless love. Nobody was doing that. And this is the point of our passage, that we're following the Lord's lead in selfless love. Such self-giving, other-centered love is native only to the divine life of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the only place where you find pure, selfless, other-centered love like this. The Son of God, being fully God, being like God the Father, being the God that He is, that's what this passage really says, Being God, he humbled himself in order to serve, in order to be able to give everything, in order to die for our salvation, to die for our good, looking for our interests, not just his own. Jesus perfectly reflects the nature of God and the character of God in his love, and it's a love that was not afraid even to suffer and to die. And because God is who he is, death didn't have the final word. That wasn't the end of Jesus' story. If it was, we wouldn't have heard about him. In the resurrection of Jesus, love and life triumph over every form of evil and chaos and brokenness and death. Every, every form of those things, the resurrection triumphs over it. And this is what's so wonderful and compelling about him. And this is why we entrust our lives to him and follow him. This is why we praise him. This is why we gather to proclaim the good news about him. This is why we want to hear from him and worship him. We are in Christ by faith, this passage says. We're in Christ. And we have participation in the Spirit. That, that word for participation is fellowship or communion. We have real communion. In the Spirit. And this means that we participate in the divine life of the triune God. It's not just that God has his life and Jesus has his life and he's a nice pattern for us to recognize and try to imitate. We're brought into the triune life. We have participation in the divine life. And then in the divine love. We not only have a pattern to follow in the life of Jesus, we have the very resources of divine love that are available to Jesus himself. 
Paul says in verse 3, this mindset is yours in Christ Jesus. This mindset didn't just belong to Christians facing the plagues in ancient Rome. This love that is not afraid even to suffer and die, it belongs to you now. It's yours. And this is why our response to the coronavirus will not be one merely of isolation. Isolation is a good idea in a lot of cases. Our testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ compels us in the right cases, to offer comfort and care and human presence to the suffering and to those who are in need. And sometimes our consideration of others will mean that we stay away. We don't want to expose others if we're sick. But for us, none of that is a reaction of fear. It's the response of real love. Martin Luther wrote something helpful on these points, I think, that, are, that help us to apply this. <clears throat> um, he wrote, uh, I think, well, it's an article that you can find online, It's called, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus, perchance, infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Moreover, this is Luther continuing, he who has contracted the disease and recovered should keep away from others and not admit them into his presence unless it be necessary. Though one should aid him in his time of need, as previously pointed out, he in turn should, after his recovery, so act toward others that no one becomes unnecessarily endangered on his account and so cause another's death. It's good basic advice. So, share with one another as you're able. Extend comfort and care to each other and to your neighbors as you're able. Come and worship and participate in the divine life and testify to the resurrection as you're able, as it's wise to do so. Pray the Lord's Prayer as you wash your hands. Stay home if by leaving the home you would put others in danger. But don't be afraid. Love one another in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, these are remarkable stories that we hear uh, throughout the history of the Christian church about their willingness to follow you in your great love and to lay down their lives in love for one another, for the sick, for the suffering. We pray that you would give us uh, the same strength of spirit, the same great love for neighbors and for one another in the church especially. We pray that you would also grant us wisdom to know how to apply this love, how to know what others need most from us when they need it. We pray that those of us who are in need would feel the freedom to ask for help. We pray that your church would have the resources to be able to help in time of need. And we pray that in all these things, as we heard from Psalm 29 earlier, 
that uh, glory would be ascribed to you because you are the king enthroned forever, even over the worst of calamities and natural disasters. We pray that uh, your glory would advance in the world, even at a time like this, but especially through the love of your church at a time like this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.